I invite you to open up your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 4. This morning we will be focused on Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 37. If you're using the Bible in front of you, that'll be page 912. This is God's word, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together in God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Now the full number of those who had believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of God. Let's go to him for help. Father, yet again, we gather here this morning with our Bibles open, eager to hear from you because we know that when the Bible speaks, you speak. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to comprehend what you have for us this morning. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Prayer. Who comes to mind when you hear the word prayer? Maybe a pastor or a missionary story that you learned when you were a kid. Maybe you think of the prayer of a grandparent or a parent or a relative who tells you that they are constantly praying for you. But let's be honest for a moment. Have you ever judged anyone else's prayer? Too long or too short? 
Maybe you agree with Charles Spurgeon where he said short prayers are long enough. Or maybe you think short prayers show a lack of intimacy with God. And if we were to go even another level of honesty, we could all probably recite the prayer of a mom, dad, brother, sister when they're called upon to pray each and every time before the meal. We can easily judge what fills other people's prayers. A toddler praying for a doll baby that's not even alive. A teenager asking God for a new car when they don't even know how to drive. Someone who's asking God for health and we look at their lifestyle and it is anything but healthy. But as we take our attention off of judging other people's prayers, let's think about our own prayers for a moment. I'm reminded as a pastor, as I have met people and continue to meet people, one common thread among God's people is usually an acknowledgement that we could be praying more. We would all agree that our lack of prayer is not due to a lack of content or a lack of need. We know that there are lots of things that we could pray to God about. Yet oftentimes our lack of prayer is due to a lack of priority, a lack of clarity, a lack of the amazement of God. It was over a decade ago that John Piper wrote that one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Now the goal of this morning's service is not to guilt anyone, including myself, into praying more. But the goal of this morning's service is to make it clear that God's word is clear that biblically saturated prayers overflow into biblically saturated lives. Let me say that again. Biblically saturated prayers overflow into biblically saturated lives. So let's jump into our text this morning here in chapter 4. Before we get to the prayer that begins in verse 24, it only makes sense if we understand the context of chapter 4. There could be many words that are used to describe what Peter and John find themselves in here in chapter 4, but the word that I want to use this morning is wild. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 2. Peter and John are doing what God called them to do, and those who were in charge, the rulers of the day, verse 2, were greatly annoyed because Peter and John were preaching to the people and proclaiming Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Peter and John were doing what God called them to do, and they found themselves arrested. They found themselves put in prison. They found themselves continuing to boldly proclaim truth, and then they find themselves released. Which leads us to verse 23 this morning, which says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said... We see an example here of corporate prayer. God's people were gathering together to pray. And this leads us to our first observation this morning. Verses 24 to 28, we see an example of a biblically saturated prayer. 
Now, of all the things that Peter and John could pray about, of all the things after they got released from prison that they could ask God for, it is fascinating that what they begin with is an overview of most of the Bible. They begin in verse 24, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. It's far different from a conference I was at before where someone stood on the platform and they began their prayer by saying, Hey God, now I understand the intention to show an intimacy with God, but prayers that begin with a lack of reverence show what we actually believe about the God who is hearing our prayers. And Peter and John begin this prayer by saying, Sovereign Lord. Now let's not forget the context here. It would be easy for Peter and John to think that the religious rulers of the day were the ones who were sovereign. It would be easy for Peter and John to think that the political rulers of the day were sovereign. They were just in prison. Yet they acknowledge at the beginning of this prayer that there is only one who is sovereign, and it's not the political leaders, it's not the religious leaders, it is God. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I find myself in the extremes, either in a moment of crisis or in a moment that seems like it's a moment of prosperity, I find it hard to remind myself foundational truth. Yet Peter and John, who recently were in crisis, now appear to be in prosperity. They center their prayer on the sovereign God. Now, if you've been here for the past several weeks, our ears should be ringing. As we've been learning the two ways to live, this sounds awfully close to step one of the two ways to live. That God really is the good ruler and creator. If this is true, if it's true that God is not like a genie in our pocket, that we ask whatever he wants and we hope that he gives it to us, but if he is the sovereign Lord, it makes sense that Peter and John would go to God first. But they continue this prayer with the reality of people and sin. Interestingly enough, a few weeks ago, Pastor Nick preached a sermon using Psalm chapter 2 as his text. And that is the same exact biblical text that Peter and John and their friends quote here in this prayer to God. Look down with me at the end of verse 25. They pray, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed this prayer of Peter and John acknowledge that God is the good ruler and creator, but it also acknowledges the reality of people and of sin. One thing I constantly remind our high school students here who are gathered right now on the other side of this wall is that if the world did not accept Jesus, it is no surprise that the world will not accept us. And Peter and John in this prayer remind themselves that the people were setting themselves up against Jesus. 
This biblically saturated prayer that Peter and John and their friends were praying, it helps us understand more of who God is. We understand as they quote the Old Testament in the New Testament that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. In our world today, it's common to think that the God of the Old Testament is this angry grandfather who is bringing wrath and the God of the New Testament is this Jesus who has flowing hair and is holding a white lamb. But this prayer reminds us that there is one God who is sovereign and his name is Jesus. Also, a clear reading of this text, when we read the Bible, we can learn so much about who God is. We see a clear picture of the Trinity. Look with me in verse 25. They're praying to God. They're acknowledging the Holy Spirit. And in the end of verse 26, they talk about the anointed one, the Christ, who is Jesus. But let's be reminded here. As Peter and John and their friends are praying, we don't know who's saying what. Peter might be saying part of this. John might be saying part of this. Philip might be saying part. Like, we don't know who's saying what. But they were not praying for pity. As they were praying, they were reminded their purpose. In verse 27, they pray acknowledging Jesus. Look with me at verse 27. It talks about people who were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 28, that the people who were gathered, they did whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. If God was sovereign over those who murdered Jesus, then God was also sovereign over those who just put Peter and John in prison. But let's not miss the beautiful parallelism here, the beautiful distinction as they pray. They pray and they say, there were people gathered right here in this city, and why were they gathered? They were gathered to kill Jesus. But that Jesus didn't stay dead, and now in this same city, there are people gathered, but we're not gathered to kill Jesus. We are gathering to proclaim Jesus. We are gathering to pray. Now talk about a biblically saturated prayer. This doesn't sound like a prayer. This sounds like a Sunday school class. But let's not miss what's happening here. Peter and John and their friends are showing that dependence on God is necessary before we ask requests of God. I'm afraid far too many of us in the church and far too many of us in our church are far too focused on what we can receive from God instead of first remembering what God has already given to us, mainly Jesus. And this is what biblically saturated prayers look like. Prayers that have so much of the Bible weaved throughout them not so that it sounds like we can win Bible trivia, but prayers that have so much of the Bible weaved throughout them so that we can stay close to the heart of God. I want you to think about the last time you were at a campsite. The last time you were at a campsite attempting not to blame your spouse 
for the brilliant idea to have a tenting trip with rain in the forecast. You wake up in the morning, not only is your tent saturated, but your clothing is saturated. One thing that you desire to have is a warm campfire on a cool morning. But you realize you forgot to cover the firewood. This wood is wet. It is dense. It is bursting with moisture. This wood is saturated. Are our prayers saturated with the Bible? But next we see in this text, not only biblically saturated prayer, but we see in verses 29 to 30, biblically saturated request. First they pray to God, and now they request to God in verses 29 to 30. Look down and read with me. As they continue to pray, they say, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. As they are praying this prayer, it becomes very obvious that the focus of this prayer is God. The focus is not them. But the request that we see here in these verses, in verses 29 and 30, is that God would continue. Maybe if you're someone who underlines in the Bible, maybe you want to underline the word continue. If you're anything like me, I like to pray big prayer requests, fun prayer requests, prayer requests that if God answers, he is the only one that gets the glory. But Peter and John model well for us that sometimes we need to just pray that God would continue his work in our lives. This prayer request for God to continue only makes sense if we have an understanding that God is the only one who can change our circumstance. This is why first we need to ground our prayer in the Bible before we request anything of God. The same God that has been at work throughout history would continue his work in the lives of Peter and John. But the second thing they pray for is that God would continue and continue to grant them boldness. Let's not miss the beautiful irony and power of this statement. This is Peter who is praying for boldness. Let's think for a second, where else do we see Peter? Before the book of Acts, we look back at the Gospels. Peter has a love-hate relationship with the term boldness. Jesus is out on the water. What does Peter do? He jumps in. He walks on water, he looks the other way, and he sinks. This is Peter, moments before Jesus is crucified. He was anything but bold. He denied Jesus three times, once to a young girl. And now, days, weeks, months later, what is he praying for? He is praying that God would grant him boldness. This really should be a reminder for all of us that we are all a work in progress. Peter is not the man that he once was. 
And Peter is crying out that God would grant him boldness, that he would faithfully proclaim the gospel to those around him. One theologian points out that these people are not praying against those who persecute them, but instead they're praying for their own faithfulness in witness. We also see in verses 29 to 30 that they prayed that God would do what only he can do. Look down with me in verse 30. That God would stretch out his hand. That God would heal. That God would perform signs and wonders. These are things that only God can do. We're reminded that biblically saturated prayers remind us that there is one hero and it's not you and it's not me. And it's not Peter and it's not John. They are praying to God. And God is the only one who can do these things. Now it's appropriate to note before we move on, it's not wrong to ask God for things. And it's definitely not wrong to ask God for things that seem trivial. Just recently I was talking to someone who told me they wanted something. And I said, have you asked God for it yet? He said, no. However, if we are going to have biblically saturated requests, we must keep our requests before God in the right perspective. We must ask ourselves if our requests to God are grounded in the Bible. You're no longer at the wet campsite. Now you find yourself in your driveway. You're about to wash your car. Maybe you're not in your driveway. Maybe you're in the parking lot of a shopping center and you're about to um, help a fundraiser for a Little League baseball team and you're about to have a car wash. You hold the sponge in your hand. The sponge is light. I think most sponges for car washes are yellow. That's what I'm picturing in my hand right here. It feels as light as the air. But in a moment, this sponge is going to be dipped into warm, soapy water. Unless you're at the Little League fundraiser, then you might be 10th in line and it might be gross, disgusting water. <laughs> but for a better visual, let's go back to your driveway. You're about to dunk this sponge into warm, soapy water and you're about to clean your car. It is no longer light and fluffy. It is now sopping wet. It is now ready to be wrung out. This sponge is saturated. I wonder if we made a list of our recent requests that we asked God. I wonder if we made that list and we were to wring it out would we think that our requests are saturated in the Bible? Or are the requests that we bring before God saturated in the things of the world? This leaves us with the last section of this passage. It leaves us with verses 31 to 37. It's the result. It's the overflow. The overflow of biblically saturated prayers is biblically saturated lives. We see in verse 31 that God answers their prayer. We see very clearly that God answers and we see the word continued and we see the word boldness. What did God answer? He answered that they would continue to speak the word of God 
And how would they do it? They'd do it with boldness. They'd speak the word of God even if it cost them everything. Even if it cost them never seeing their family again. Even if it cost them losing all the material possessions they had, God granted them the ability to continue to speak the word with boldness. And it was God who answered that prayer request. We also see part of the overflow, part of the overflow of the biblically saturated prayers we see in verses 32 and following. The first thing we see is for God's people, there was a sense of unity. Look with me at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. That's not normal. By God's grace, I've been a Christian for about 25 years, and there's plenty of times in those 25 years, I look at other Christians and I'm like, you are annoying and you are a jerk. <laughs> and for each of those people, they're probably looking at me saying, you're annoying and a jerk. But we're reminded in this passage that even though we might vertically believe the same thing, that biblically saturated prayers can lead to biblically saturated lives. And one example of this is a unity. Again, if you circle in your Bible, maybe you want to circle the number fool. There was a full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. We also see something else that's uncommon here in the second half of verse 32. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. We see that there was a biblical sense of generosity. That's not common in our world today. If you continue down, we don't have time to read 34 to the end again, but we see examples of how this generosity was found throughout the book of Acts. And maybe most shockingly, I think one of my favorite verses in this passage, verse 33, we see a result of this biblically saturated prayer is gospel speech. Look with me at verse 33. It says, and with great power... The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them. It's because Jesus actually rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead like everyone else. He rose from the dead, and if Jesus actually rose from the dead, they could not be quiet about it. They could not be quiet even if it meant they had to risk everything. For Peter and John and their friends, their biblically saturated prayers overflowed into a biblically saturated life. No longer at the campsite and thankfully no longer at the Little League fundraiser car wash. Now you find yourself at your kitchen table. It's Saturday morning. You pour your favorite cereal into the bowl and you pour some milk over top of it. Life is going well. You take one spoonful and eat. You take a second spoonful and eat. And then almost like it was on command, 
Almost like it was planned, the cell phone vibrates, the baby cries, the doorbell rings. Your perfect breakfast is interrupted. 10, 12, 15 minutes later, you sit back in the same seat at the same table with the same bowl of cereal in front of you. You go down for spoonful number three, you put it in your mouth, and no longer do you have Cheerios that have been covered in milk, but you have milk that has saturated the Cheerios. You've waited too long. The cereal is saturated. It is overflowing. And it makes me wonder, Old North Church, people that I love, are our lives saturated with the word of God? It's one thing to claim that our lives are saturated with the Bible, but it's quite another to actually be. And we must point out before we're done this morning, Acts chapter four, the story of Peter and John and their friends. This is a description. This is history. They were praying. You and I are not Peter and Peter is not us. However, we know that throughout the Bible, it is a prescription or it is a command that those who are part of God's family would be marked as those who pray. Jesus assumes that his followers would pray when he gave the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel. He did not say, if you pray. What did he say? He said, when you pray. Three quick closing encouragements for our church around the topic of prayer. Thinking about this text first. This text reminds us that we don't need to pick between being a prayer person and being a Bible person. Why separate friends? I love what one theologian said. He said the secret to prayer is simply praying. Our goal shouldn't to be known as a prayer person or a Bible person or a service person. Our goal should be to live as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And if by his grace we can live as Christians, our lives must be marked by biblical prayer. Second, this text reminds us that we must avoid evaluating God's answers to our prayers through human eyes and our timeline. We must avoid evaluating God's answers to our prayers through human eyes and our timeline. I'm reminded of one of the most fascinating news stories over the past six months. When Tom Brady retired, the last football that he threw for a touchdown, the receiver caught it and for some reason threw it into the crowd. The person who caught the ball smartly kept it, put it for auction, and it sold for $518,000. Over half a million dollars for the last touchdown ball by Tom Brady. However, the person who bought that football did not realize that shortly after, Tom Brady would come out of retirement. 
No longer is this the last touchdown ball that Tom threw, but this is one of many that Tom threw. He didn't know the mind of Tom Brady or he wouldn't have bought the ball. Infinitely more important than Tom Brady's timeline is the timeline of our sovereign God. We often see day, week, month, year. God sees eternity. Also reminds me of a missionary I learned about as a teenager. A missionary who prayed and prayed and prayed that God would move. He wore the boards out by his his bed because he was on his knees praying so much but saw very little result. Very little result until after he died and God moved. I don't remember the missionary's name. Honestly, it might have been made up by a youth leader who was trying to urge high school students to pray. But the principle is true. We don't pray, first and foremost, to get results. We pray because through prayer we commune with God. And he will give answers to our prayers in his time and in his way. Third and last, encouragement for our church around prayer. Let's let God's answers to our prayers drive us to greater faithfulness. Let's let God's answers to our prayers drive us to greater faithfulness. If you look in the compass or the bulletin that you got when you walked in, you'll see the title of this sermon is The Earth-Shaking Prayer. The reason it's titled The Earth-Shaking Prayer is if you look in verse 31, as soon as they were done praying, right before verse 31, we see the end of quotation marks. They're done praying. And the writer of Acts says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. It was shaken. Probably thought they were in the midst of an earth shake. But it's interesting that when we read this text in the book of Acts, there's no emphasis or celebration about the fact that the ground was shaking. What's the emphasis on? The emphasis is they just prayed, and now by God's grace, they would push ahead in biblical faithfulness. I think we so often look for results in our prayers in the wrong places. We wonder, why has God not answered our prayers when in reality he has, but our focus, our eyes, our expectation has been in the wrong place? May we be a church whose prayers, saturated in the Bible, drive us to greater faithfulness. Because if we pray biblically grounded prayers, we know however God will answer. It might not be the way we wanted it to be. It might not be the way we anticipated it to be. But if we pray biblically grounded prayers, we know that we can trust that God's answer will be best. So with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
God, we thank you that as we gather here in Canfield, Ohio, as your people, that you hear us. We thank you for being the creator. We thank you for sending Jesus to save us from our sins. We thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. And Father, I pray that we would be a people that have biblically saturated prayer. So much so that it would overflow in us by your grace into biblically saturated lives. God, as we continue to sing this morning, God, would you remind us that you are the king. And Father, I pray for my friends in this room that we would come before you humbly, expectant, and that we would celebrate the fact that we can know you, the only true God. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.